They're arranged in order of price. The most expensive are in the front. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what about this one? Uh, to tell you the truth, I haven't manufactured that one for a number of years. I might have a couple of boxes left in our warehouse in New Jersey. I'd have to check. Oh, no. D George, that's so ugly. We don't want that. Well, I don't want to be a secondary character. <laughs> Hi. Hello. Oh, shit, are you a hundred bucks? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> you actually said the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on, I'll speak to the manager and see if we can compromise for 20 bucks. Pine is good. Pine is good. <laughs> Indeed. Welcome to another episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. This is a podcast about the greatest sitcom of all time, but it's a bit different to your typical Seinfeld podcast. We actually take an episode at random and talk about the secondary characters from the show. My name is Ivan. And I'm Stephen. And this week we are talking about the season seven finale, The Invitations, the one which still shocks me to this day. Yeah, it's uh, pretty dark, but I think it's a nice segue into the more dark and wacky territory of season eight and nine. So it's kind of a launching pad. Yeah, and it's Larry David's last one before he wrote the finale. What a way to leave, huh? Yeah, the death of a main secondary character. <laughs> the death of Susan. Like, I, I went on your um, Facebook page, Seinfeldisms, the other day, and I, I said that I, I did a post saying that I watched The Invitations, and, like, every time I watch it, I'm still shocked when Susan dies. Like, even though I know it's going to happen and all that, but it's just the way she dies, and it's just really, it's insane. Like, George, for the entire season seven, tries to get out of the engagement and the wedding and stuff, and he tries everything and everything and everything, and then he finally gets what he wants. But in like a real sinister, macabre way. Yeah, look, I mean, it is shocking. And I don't remember watching it when it first aired or even around the time, you know, the first time it repeated. But I'm more shocked by their callous and, as uh, the doctor says, I can't remember his name, Wex restrained jubilation. Yeah, restrained, yeah, jubilation. restrained that's jubilation. What, that's what he mentions in the finale. Yeah, I know. They're just like, and you can see like when George says, you know, he tells the other three that she's dead. And then he's kind of like, yes. He, he, he does actually exhibit that restrained jubilation. Yeah, and, and just the insincerity in Elaine and uh, Jerry expressing their condolences, how Elaine's like, I'm so sorry, George. Yeah, like, it's like, they don't know where to begin. You, They're like, what? Yeah, they know that they have to say that because that's sort of the social custom when someone passes away, but it's just absolutely meaningless and empty. I know, crazy. Oh, well, there's plenty of uh, plenty of stories about Heidi Swedberg, the actress who played Susan and, you know, why she left the show and stuff, but I've heard so many different rumours and stuff. I don't really know exactly how it worked but anyway we are talking about the secondary characters i guess we'll talk a bit about susan in the context of this episode i think it was actually a really good performance by heidi in this one yeah no she was a bit more uh she had a bit more oomph in this episode i think um you know when she stood up to george's choices you know with the invitations like well any any choice that he was going to make after the invitation she put her foot down and when she laughs her head off when george proposes a prenup i thought that was a really good yeah good scene yeah certainly well done and uh, yeah it's a shame we didn't see susan but uh, a lot of Seinfeld fans have mixed feelings about her anyway so uh, it was a very surprising send off for her. Yeah but uh, memorable and apparently Heidi loved it so she she thought that it was actually a good way to finalise the character so I mean you know she plays Susan and she knows Susan best so I figure if she's okay with it then that makes it okay in general. Yeah and she went on to uh, become what a ukulele player. Yeah. <laughs> a folksy kind yeah, of I think person. You, yeah I think she still puts up ukulele videos on, uh, on Instagram. I remember we talked about it I don't know way back in season one when 
when we did seasons of the podcast mm, yeah. in 2017. I think we mentioned it a couple of times. Maybe we were trying to get in touch with her for an interview or something. Yeah, that was during our uh, the Susan or Susan episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, I'm sure she's you know still doing that. I mean, if she's in lockdown, she's got more time to play the uh, play the ukulele. So <laughs> we'll probably see plenty from her uh, online. Indeed. If you want to send us ukulele videos while you're in lockdown, you can email us at bidwabasspodcast at gmail You can say hello on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Reddit. You can listen to all of our previous episodes on whatever podcast app you use. And if you want to support us, uh, please leave us a five-star rating and a little blurb about what you think of the podcast. And if you want to support us financially as of this episode for our Patreon listeners, we have actually started our Patreon page back up. Yeah, that's right. That's been relaunched and uh, we do have some bonus content for you. So if you are on Patreon, you do get this episode in one week in advance. And also we have started uh, season two of Curbcast. So that is exclusive to Patreon. Between April and May, you can get all that in a, a sort of like a free trial of sorts so we're not actually charging and uh, all of our tiers you do get those exclusive perks yeah that's right so if you sign up between april 1st and uh, i believe april 30 uh you get all the access or you get access to all the benefits of a normal patron but uh you won't be charged until may when that rolls around and then uh after that if you want to continue depending on what tier you sign up for it'll be either two or three dollars per month uh, i think it's one or two. Oh, one or two dollars yeah, well there two, you go yeah. <laughs> yeah oh well we'll see how we go maybe one day depending on the popularity of patreon if it does become huge we might do offer a three dollar one who knows yeah we'll rope people in and jack the price up that's it <laughs> or just profiteer from this from this whole situation that's right and we do like to thank our current patrons uh, tim holly nakia and jeff for their pledges and their support so uh, if you want to join them patreon.com forward slash bidwabask yeah thanks guys much appreciated uh finally if you want to uh, have some seinfeld fun over on facebook you can join the unofficial facebook group for but i don't want to be a secondary character it's called seinfeldisms we've just ticked over 43 Three and a half thousand members, I think, today. Oh. In about a month or two, I think it'll become the biggest Seinfeld uh, Facebook group, which is pretty awesome. That is pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I started it about a year ago, and it was very slow for the first six months, and then around November, December, it just sort of exploded, and it hasn't really stopped. No. So, uh, yeah, just check it out. The link's in the show notes, and uh, yeah, come have some fun. Excellent, my dude. How about some Seinfeldisms, buddy? The intersectionality of reality and Seinfeld, much like the Facebook page. Has any Seinfeld-related events happened in your world? Yeah. So on Sunday, so two days ago, I was driving through a suburb of Melbourne called Brunswick on the main street through that suburb called Sydney Road. And that area of Melbourne is known for a lot of uh, Mediterranean culture because after World War II, uh, a lot of a lot of people after to the war came over and, and, you know, set up life in Australia. So there's a lot of like, uh, you know, Italian restaurants, a lot of like furniture shops and just all sorts of things that are sort of typically Greek or Italian or Spanish or anything like that. And uh, I saw a shop. I didn't catch what it was called, but it was actually called Costanzo. Oh, Costanzo. I think I've seen that one before. Costanzo. Yeah, Costanzo. <laughs> yeah, I think it's been there for a while. But um, to me, it's like, uh, you know, when Frank goes to Italy because he thinks he's found his long lost cousin. Is yeah. it cousin? Yeah, cousin, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I reckon Costanzo is George's long lost, you know, second cousin or something like that. <laughs> Probably something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they migrated to Australia in the 40s and 50s after the war. Yeah, and he's probably a selfish idiot like George. Yeah, <laughs> actually, he's probably the opposite. He's probably a really kind-hearted man. Yeah, actually, I was going to say, to, to have a successful business uh, last for that long, you probably have to, you know, act decently and honestly, unlike George. So, And, and he always yeah. tells the truth, and he was very happy to get married. And he's not cheap. No, that's right. He's actually, he likes spending big, but only for people who he thinks he deserves it. Yeah, that's right. And if his fiance passes away 
unfortunately he um you know he doesn't sort of think it's a it's a it's a win he's he actually devastated yeah. he won't ask to go for a cup of coffee straight after yeah so uh, let's go get some coffee <laughs> i know that's so callous and, and what about in the end credits where he tries to call marissa tomei oh <laughs> i know i mean that's that's cold but what really really puts the sort of full stop on that or what really cements the callousness of that scene is when he goes well i've got the funeral tomorrow but you know the day after i'm free my like, weekend's wide open my we weekend's be, wide open we could do a whole like, episode oh, just it, on this but yeah <laughs> it's crazy right. how much you see like how callous george really is i mean if you were to do a list of like the top 10 scumbaggiest moments for george the hospital scene and then the following scene where he calls marissa tomei i think would be probably top five <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's not like he wanted her to die but just the fact that he doesn't care no. and he's already he's already thinking like you know now there's an opening to date who i really want to date i mean it's just uh, <laughs> terrible yeah Heartless. and he was going to bring that woman you know through like a miserable marriage so in a way it kind of worked out in of sorts yeah look i i would say that she still got the raw end of the deal yeah, she she still had the power to we'll just call it off it cost her but um yeah i mean i guess she saved herself some suffering but uh she probably could have saved herself suffering and not died yeah exactly yeah at worst you know at worst if she just got sick from it and then divorced or broke up with george that would have been just fine yeah like i could imagine a situation where you know if she's in hospital for a couple of weeks and she's got a lot of time to think and then she actually realizes what am i doing yeah. why am i marrying george and then uh you know once she recovers and comes home she breaks up with him i mean george would be stoked and you know they'd both be winners in that situation i think yeah for sure <laughs> Anyway, like I said, we could do a whole episode just talking about the invitations, but uh, we've got plenty to talk about. Do you have any other Seinfeldisms? No, that's it. How about you? Uh, no, none, none again for this week for the third week in a row, sadly. But uh, what about some Seinfeld news, buddy? Do you have more than one article this week? Uh, no, just one. And it's actually just an update from an article I talked about last week. So I mentioned last week that Larry David and Lloyd Braun, who I didn't know until last week, was a real person. In real life, um, and one of, or not Matt McCoy. Yeah. No, that's right. Uh, the, yeah, the real life Lloyd Braun. They are members of a golf club club called the Riviera Golf Club in somewhere in California. I can't remember where. And because of the COVID-19 shutdown of basically everything, uh, a lot of the caddies are you know, out of work and uh, they set up a GoFundMe to raise money to uh, support the, the caddies and you know some of the other workers at the golf club. And uh, the I think last week I mentioned it just it was just shy of 100 grand. That was their initial target. And uh, oh no, sorry, I said it just ticked over 100 grand. Their initial target was 100 and uh, they bumped it up to 150. And uh, as of recording, uh, it's at 1.30. So it's slowed down a bit, but um, it's good to see that it's still creeping up. Oh, well, at least I made a bit more money and I'm sure that, uh, Larry could probably throw another 20K in to make it up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the guy's more or less a billionaire. Surely yeah. he could, but... Or at least 100 million. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah, so that's all the Seinfeld news for the week. Just an update. Pretty yeah. slow. Oh, it's all right. Very nice update nonetheless. And uh, that money is going to Stan the Caddy and his other buddies. That's right. Like you mentioned last week. Anyway, let's do a quick synopsis for The Invitation, Season 7, Episode 20. This one is the season finale and Larry David's last written episode until the finale in season nine. First aired in the US on May 16th, 1996, directed by Andy Ackerman and, as I mentioned, written by Larry David. In this episode, it's finally time for George and Susan's wedding. George doesn't think he can go through with it, but when Susan puts George in charge of the wedding invitations, George gets the cheapest ones in the lot, knowing that the glue for the envelopes is cheap. Unfortunately,
especially for Susan, the glue is also toxic, and licking the envelopes has fatal consequences. Uh, meanwhile, Jerry courts a woman just like him. Her name is Jan- uh, Janine Steinberg. <laughs> Sorry, I was like, Ginny Ann? I was like, no, I'm pretty sure it's Janine. Uh, Janine Steinberg, she's played by Janine Garofalo, and holds up his end of George's pact from earlier episode at the engagement. Um, other secondary characters, as we mentioned at the start, Dr. Wexler, he's played by Victor Raider Wexler. He's credited as Doctor in the episode. John Riggy, he plays the teller who says hi, or hey, rather, at the bank. And uh, Stephen Root plays the bank manager, Mr. Lager. What a nice name. Yeah, no, it is. I really like Lager. it. Bit of trivia for the invitations, the infamous season seven episode, Steve. Um, Yankees owner George Steinbrenner, who was a confessed fan of the show, filmed scenes for a guest appearance in the episode, but none of the footage ever made it to air. And uh, you can actually see this on YouTube, his deleted scenes. Yeah, look, I'm, I've, I've watched them before. Uh, and no, he's a pretty terrible actor. <laughs> it's such a weird choice because the Steinbrenner in this, uh, you know, is voiced by Larry David and uh, acted by, who is it? Someone Bear? Uh, yeah, yeah. I forgot his Some, name, but yeah. Someone someone Bear. He's so distinctive, you know, like his, his body language and his voice. And even if the real Steinbrenner did an impression of his own impression, it would just come across as very weird and disjointed. It's yeah. like, it, yeah, it was just such a random choice. Um, and I'm, you know, even if his acting was great and the scenes were good, I think deleting them or leaving them out was a good idea. Yeah, he couldn't even play himself. No, no, no. I mean, he's not an actor, so fair enough that he's not going to do a great job. But, you know, even if he was really good or really tried hard to to follow the same, you know, mannerisms as is portrayed by Bear and Larry David in the show, it would just come across as a weird imitation yeah. of an imitation of himself. It's just, it just is such a strange choice. I don't get it. Yeah, it'd just be a poor choice. Yeah, no. definitely. So I'm glad that, uh, yeah, they, they made the choice to leave the scenes out because, yeah, just not very good and not yeah. very funny. But like I said, you can see those scenes on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're interesting artifacts and they're, you know, it's it's an interesting tidbit, but um, definitely would have just been a very, very strange uh, inclusion. Yeah. What, what do you have? Uh, so this is actually the last episode until the finale to show Jerry's uh, stand-up. So as you've mentioned a couple of times, this is the last episode that Larry David was involved in until the finale. So for nearly two whole seasons. And because Jerry became the primary writer, or sorry, well, showrunner and creator, he um, he didn't really have time to write and film stand-up because he was so busy with uh, all the extra responsibilities. So he left it out. Yeah, and he obviously left his mark for seasons eight and nine. And that's when the show, like we mentioned several times, that's when the episode started to become a bit more, you know, wacky and surreal and with really oddball storylines, especially for Kramer. Yeah, yeah. Le- less focused on the sort of like the, the nuances of awkward and irrelevant conversation and more focused on like sort of wackier esoteric stuff. Exactly. And I didn't know this, Stephen, but this episode was actually a casualty from the post 9-11 environment. You know, when straight after 9-11, there was that situation where letters with white powder would be mailed and it would appear to be anthrax. Yeah, a lot of anthrax scares. That that was the biggest problem plaguing the world. I, I remember those times joyfully. Yeah, <laughs> joyfully. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't really a joy for me. This episode was actually pulled from syndication at the time. I didn't know that at all. Yeah, I remember when, when that was happening and anything that could be even vaguely related to uh, September 11 was just pulled from radio, from TV, anything at all. I remember the first thing that comes to mind is there's a band that I uh, like. I was a bigger fan back then called Machine Head. They're like a metal band. Yeah, yeah. And they actually had an album, uh, I think it was called Supercharger, releasing on September 11. And the first single from the album was called Crashing Around You. And I remember you can watch the film clip, but the film clip, just purely by coincidence, is them playing in front of a green screen and the footage is buildings like coming down and it's supposed to be a metaphor of like your life falling apart, I think, after a relationship breakup or something like that. That was the first single. And, it's, you know, it's not about buildings literally falling down. It's supposed to be like a visual metaphor. But uh, I, 
think the day after the the attack they pulled it off the air and then the album was like a total flop and there was a lot of money put into it and that was just one of many 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 examples of unfortunate uh release timings around the time and you know like there was a massive bunch of songs pulled off the air that had any references to like attacks or guns or Mm, anything at all that could be related to terrorism or, or september 11 or buildings or planes tv shows music movies anything and everything was just pulled straight off yeah. just to sort of i guess reduce people's anxiety maybe it, those sort of things always seem so heavy-handed in retrospect but i can understand why you know and i guess i guess companies just don't want to take any you know they don't want to second guess anything they're just like if it has any reference just pull it off mm, yeah you know even if no one cares it's better to be safe than sorry i guess absolutely yeah but this episode has since been put back into rotation and it does air as normal and it's on of course all the yeah. streaming services and everything yeah look i, f- I feel like you know dying from envelopes is a pretty like far is a pretty stretch it, it, like it's a bit of a stretch yeah, yeah. in terms of relating it to september 11 and and you know the the anthrax stuff afterwards but yeah again like in the situation i can understand why that decision was made but looking back it's probably a bit of a uh you know bit heavy-handed maybe for sure for sure do you have any other trivia yeah a couple of others so the the scene where jerry decides to propose to genie uh, who's one of the secondary characters from the episode he there's a little like montage of him at the beach like looking around observing couples you know who are in love and stuff and he he runs off that's the exact same scene that (laughs) exact same situation that george goes through uh in the opener of season seven the engagement when he decides to marry uh susan or asks susan to marry him and he runs through the uh, pack of seagulls there the flock (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) on the pier yes exactly it essentially mirrors uh, mirrors that scene yeah that was pretty good yeah no very good i like it when they sort of redo scenes or redo lines and stuff it's it's pretty funny yeah and and it's good how the engagement Uh, was the first episode and then the invitations was the final episode of the season and i love how that scene just bookended both of them yeah no it's it's a nice touch um the only other trivia i had was in the scene where jerry's daydreaming about the future uh, where it's just him and kramer um after elaine says that she's out she's sick of being single kramer busts into the door as usual uh busts into the apartment as usual and he proposes a car with a periscope and uh jerry shuts him down he's like you know they're not making bigger roofs and uh that actual idea was made into reality in a Kobe enthusiasm episode i didn't know which episode it was but yeah apparently there's an actual episode i'm, I'm sure we'll get to it eventually because we we're doing curb cars. Cast, yeah <laughs> eventually yeah. yeah with a car with a periscope in it oh wow i don't think that'll be too safe you know i, I think that'll be uh, there'd be a lot of uh, potential hazards right there and just completely unnecessary just look out the front window <laughs> exactly. just, just look i mean in the, in the windshield yeah yeah i mean periscopes are in submarines because you can't exactly look out the front but you know in a car half of it's made of glass yeah. just look <laughs> just look damn it or just smash the window and look out if you have to god damn it well that's all the trivia for the episode we'll take a quick break and when we come back we'll talk about the secondary characters from this week's episode the invitations that's right we'll be back hi this is zach and aaron from seinfeld law and uh, you are listening to but i don't want to be a secondary character Today we're talking about the secondary characters from The Invitations, the Season 7 finale, and we're going to talk first of all about Jeannie Steinman, same initials as Jerry. She's played by... Yep, J.S., same initials. I like it. Uh, Played by Emmy Award-nominated actress and comedian Janine Garofalo, she's most famous for her award-nominated supporting role in The Larry Sanders Show. Uh, She's also appeared on Saturday Night Live from 1994 to 1995, and for film, she's appeared in the films Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion, Ratatouille, and Mystery Men, and uh, her character also appears in the season 8 premiere The Foundation but she's actually in a flashback um, because obviously the invitations and The Foundation are the next episodes and there's a flashback where Jerry you know Elaine asks Jerry what happened to Jeannie and a flashback shows them going to monks and uh, they break up simple as that yeah it's a very uh, like a very congenial uh, breakup you know they're just like okay 
this is done. We don't like each other anymore. They Bye. Both say to each other, I hate you. <laughs> In like, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's like, but it's good. At least that explains where she came from. Because I'd imagine everyone was probably thinking, what happens to Jeannie? Is Jerry still together? Or is Jerry going to become like George being in like a, a relationship he wants to get out of but can't you know is it, is it now have the tables been turned um but no at least we had that closure in the foundation yeah look i, I think if they were going to do another arc where you know jerry's trying to weasel his way out of an engagement that would be very boring it's like you've just done that yeah exactly you know just don't do that again yeah and i think i think the only reason that they had a flashback to explain what happened to it was because they were engaged if they if if the engagement was never part of the invitations you know you would have just assumed that she's just another episode girlfriend because that's what happens in most of them but it the engagement too big like, of a void it would have been like yeah, yeah genie was here in season seven why isn't she here now yeah but you're right for something so yeah you like an engagement you know you'd have you want to know yeah. where she is like that would have been even for seinfeld that would have been too much just to like let her you know let her go yeah look i mean it wouldn't have been too big of a deal if they didn't explain it because you would have just assumed well jerry wanted to get out of it as soon as it as soon as it happened yeah so he obviously just got out of it, but I think I think showing it was the right thing. Yeah, and he's even Stephen. He didn't have to go through any turmoil to do it. It just happened. Exactly. <laughs> he is really it just worked out Stephen. for both of them. Yeah, for, yeah, for both of them. Yeah. Even Stephen and uh, yeah, but I think Jeannie and Jerry both you know have even Stephen syndrome where things just work out. Yeah, and that's why they get along so well. Um, because I think with I think with Jeannie, she's probably you know because Jerry says he hates himself, and at first he says, oh, I want to be with someone like myself, but then he says he hates himself. He realizes, but I think she's probably maybe a bit too observational like even when you know for example that guy at monks you know he trips over and then genie goes that's a shame but for jerry i think in a way there's been some kind of character development with him like you know in earlier seasons he'd probably like go oh that's a shame as well but even like he looks at genie when the guy falls over and hurts himself and she's like he's like what the fuck are you talking about you know it's like, come on man let's have I don't, some compassion I don't, you know i don't think he, well look I, i'd push back on that i don't think he is concerned about the guy i think he just realizes that Jeannie is exactly like him. She says exactly the same things as him. Oh, she, and she I mean, it's a shame. Yeah, I think I think that's why he looks at her like that because oh, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. realizing what she's like. Because I mean, you know, in the next scene when they're at the hospital, he doesn't give a shit that Susan's died. So I don't think he's grown at all. If he doesn't care about his best friend's fiance dying, yeah, I don't think he'd care about a guy tripping over in the in the diner. That's true. Yeah, I don't know where I, where I got that from. Character development and science. No, 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 no. I think it's a solid observation, sort of uh, in and of itself. But when you sort of step back a bit and understand that you know they never grow they probably just get worse yeah i just don't think it really holds up now nah, fair cool I, I think Jeannie, you know she's very observational she's obviously very like much like jerry same sense of humor has the same interests serial superman i think though that she's probably a bit more decent than jerry i mean there's no evidence of that in the episode but maybe maybe it's just wishful thinking i just think that i mean the fact that she seems very concerned about jerry you know enough to save his life i mean you know i think most people even if you're an asshole would not just watch somebody get run over by a car but i don't know i just i just get a vibe of her being a bit less of a prick than jerry i think she's got all of his traits and interests but she's got a nicer personality i'd say okay fair enough well she does save him from uh, getting killed yeah that's what i mean and i mean i you know i'm sure jerry would do the same if 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 it was genie who was about to get hit by a car you know i don't think even the even the scummiest people on earth would probably in the moment save someone from getting run over i think that's just like a human instinct almost but i don't know she just comes across as a bit less of a jerk yeah 
Yeah, okay. And maybe a bit more, maybe with a bit more care and love. Like she's actually kind of got a heart, but she still is sarcastic and observational like Jerry. You know who she reminds me of? She reminds me of a real life Daria. Okay. Well, I, I think Janine Garofalo's just got that quality where yeah, it's just this sort of like- Geeky kind of quality. Yeah, like quirky and also a bit of a, like a kind of like fuck you, you know, attitude. Um, Very 90s, yeah, like Gen X attitude. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, Janine Garofalo played a lot of those characters. I mean, I most know her for um, her role in Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. And yeah. she's definitely that character where, you know, it has flashbacks to high school and she just doesn't like anyone. She doesn't yeah. care about anyone. She's just like, fuck you. I don't owe you anything. Yeah, very much a Daria, Courtney Love, sort of like an angry 90s woman yeah. vibe for sure. Absolutely. Well, what did we think? I mean, because she's so much like Jerry in terms of personality, what if she's also a stand-up comedian? It's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. I would say that, yeah, she's got that sort of air about her. So she's much like Janine Garofalo in real life. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, Jerry's humor in the show and in real life is very, very safe. You know, he doesn't really talk about taboo subjects. And if he does, it's done in a very like almost family friendly kind of at worst PG way. Mm, yeah. I think Janine would crap uh, once or twice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. But I think, I think Jeannie would be probably a bit more like edgy. I could imagine her like maybe not being like Bill Hicks or someone, but somewhere between Jerry Seinfeld safe and Bill Hicks edgy, like somewhere in the middle there where it's like kind of edgy, but still erring on the side of, you know, just sort of safe, nice, observational with a few swear words thrown in there, or maybe like a story about sex or something. What's yeah. the deal with yeah. being stabbed what? in the fucking eye? Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think she'd be super controversial or like yeah. pushing the boundaries, but I think she'd be a bit more crude and a tiny bit more edgy than Jerry for sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, yeah, I, I, I think she's character though. Yeah, no, I, I, I liked her. I mean, you know, she was written to be a female Jerry, but I think Janine Garofalo naturally just gives her a bit more of a bit more of an edge if yeah. they if they got i can't remember her name george's girlfriend who looks like jerry yeah you know yeah. i mean she looks like jerry but if they got that actress to or, or someone you know who isn't as edgy to act like jerry i think it would come across as just almost like pretty awful but yeah definitely but jenny has got the the sort of just the attitude she can act like jerry but i think she just has her own natural vibe about her as well yeah i know absolutely i mean if she did if they did take the like jerry's girlfriend that looks like him and yeah and put Jeannie's attitude in there yeah that would have been probably too much i kind of agree with you yeah look i I don't think i don't think Jeannie's like sort of maybe more sarcastic maybe slightly more edginess is like a choice that janine made i think janine garofalo just has that that it's just who she is and it comes across through Jeannie. yeah that character to me sounds like it definitely was based on janine garofalo yeah i mean she's she's kind of one of those actresses that she's very much her most of the characters that she plays are kind of just a version of her like she doesn't you know i mean she's a great actress but she's she's sort of found her own niche which is just versions of herself yeah yeah that's it you know with just different circumstances and different interests maybe in 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 whatever context it is but you know she is very much herself and i think even in this you know she still has that quality yeah there you go well it's a shame we only saw her in one and a bit episode yeah no look i mean i like anything janine garofalo does i have all the time in the world for her i think she's an awesome comedian and an awesome actress and i think she did a really good job of playing a very similar person to jerry but not like a cut and paste version of jerry you know it was like it was like Jerry's personality. Well, Jerry's like interests and mannerisms sort of installed into Janine Garofalo's natural edginess and attitude. And it was sort of like a nice mix. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Anyway, yeah. should we jump on to the next secondary character or do you have any other notes about her? Nah, that's it. That's it. Cool. Dr. Wexler, hey? Shall we talk about him in this episode? Yeah. All right. He's played by Victor Raider Wexler. What a cool name. <laughs> Appeared in the films The Minority Report, Dr. Doolittle 2 and Secret Santa. Uh, this is his character's second appearance out of four. Uh, he's also 
also appeared in the Junior Mint from season five or six, The Summer of George and the finale. And as confirmed in the finale, he realizes that George is exhibiting restraint jubilation when uh, delivering news of Susan's death to him. Yeah. I mean, in the in the finale, when he's on the stand and he describes how George reacts, you know, he's obviously very shocked and, and the crowd is as well, the, the crowd in the courtroom. But in this episode, he kind of doesn't react in any way. Like he doesn't seem weirded out by George's restrained jubilation. He just sort of, you know, he shakes his hand and thinks, okay, well, I've delivered the news. Now I've got to get on with my my shift. So maybe maybe it was upon reflection, thinking like, oh my God, I had to deliver this bad news. And then he reflected, you know, at the end of his shift or later that day or whatever. Yeah, because I could imagine like, something what? like, I could imagine because something like Susan, you know, like a patient of yours dying from toxic envelopes. I'm sure that's not really a case that comes across his desk too often. Um, so when yeah. you had to like be called in to testify against George, he probably thought, oh, wow, I do remember that case. Because he does mention in the finale, he remembers that case really well. Because obviously it's not one, it's probably a once in a lifetime case. Yeah. I'm just saying that in the moment of delivering the news and George's immediate reaction, he doesn't look bothered by George's reaction. It just, it, it all seems, I would, I would say that, you know, if he did observe George not sort of reacting with any emotion that he would have put it down to shock, but maybe, you know, maybe, you know, maybe once the, in, in the finale, once the, cause he, he doesn't testify until sort of towards the end. Once he understands who they really are, maybe he like recontextualizes George's reaction of like, oh no, he wasn't in shock. He's just a horrible person. Yeah, no, he you certainly, know? he certainly would have reflected on it. Yeah. Cause at the time, you know, he obviously just losing a patient for any medical professional is obviously a terrible thing to do. Yeah. But for Wexley, yeah, he was probably in the moment. He felt very empathetic and, you know, towards George and he felt like he probably failed for not saving Susan as well. Um, So, you know, yeah. there's, there's that guilt as well. So he probably felt that as well. So yeah, you're right. At the time, he wouldn't have figured anything out. But yeah, upon reflection, he probably would have then said, hang on. Yeah, I do remember George sure. being like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I could imagine a scenario, this sort of just popped into my head where, you know, when George delivers the news to the other three and they're all just sort of pretending to be sad and then after a minute they don't care, you know, they weren't talking quietly. They were sort of standing in the middle of a busy uh, walkway. Yeah. I'm sure there were yeah. like nurses and doctors around who may have overheard them. Yeah. You know, like it may have been sitting like just out of shot. You know, I could imagine a scenario where Dr. Wexler is talking to a nurse saying, oh, last week I had to tell this guy that his wife died of glue poisoning, you know, how horrible. And then and then the nurse is like, oh, yeah, I overheard that. They didn't seem to care. You know, I could almost imagine a situation where he heard about how much they didn't care afterwards yeah. through, you know, secondhand information or something like that, because they were within earshot of many, many people when they were talking about it. Well, it sounds like to me that this case certainly was in Dr. Wexler's mind. I think he probably, I'm sure between then and the finale, he didn't think about it every day, but I think it probably would have come up once in a while or even through conversation. You know, you speak to people who are doctors <laughs> or medical professionals or whatever, and they'll tell you like some really crazy stories or patients that they've had in the past. So I bet you if he's gone to like dinner parties or get togethers, they've probably said, oh, what's some of the strangest cases you've ever come across? And they'll say, oh, there's a yeah. woman who licked 200, you know, wedding invitation envelopes and then she died <laughs> from overdose and the poisoning, you know, Is it, you know, it's like real oddball cases. And yeah, I mean, that's probably yeah. because he mentions it all the time to people who ask. Maybe that's why he remembers it so well, too. Yeah. And I can imagine him like maybe understanding a bit more about George after delivering the news to, you know, I imagine he had to be the one who gave the news to Susan's parents as well, you know, and maybe he was talking to them and obviously they would have been devastated and broken down crying. Maybe that would have made him realize, oh, hang on, like George, George didn't react this way and he's, he's her fiance. Yeah. Like, Something's you know, I think, I think the more, I think the more it went on, the more he understood how horrible George's reaction was. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Oh, well, but anyway, Do you have anything Dr. else about it? No, but all I can say is Dr. Wexler, he finally gets the justice that he deserves in the finale, and he helps put him I think down. so. <laughs> well, he delivers the justice. He doesn't get the justice. Yeah, 
he, he, I mean, he delivers it. He, he gets vindicated. For sure. Let's talk about Mr. Lager, the bank manager. Yeah, let's. Uh, he sounds very thirsty, Mr. Lager. Played by character <laughs> actor Stephen Root. Uh, he was nominated for a supporting actor in a comedy primetime Emmy for his work on the TV show Barry a couple of years ago. He's also most famous for playing the character Milton. I knew you'd like this one, Stephen. In the Mike Judge film Office Space. One of the best movies of all time. Yes, and he's also known for his voice work on King of the Hill, another Mike Judge project. Yeah, him and Mike Judge are a good partnership. I mean, have you seen Office Space? Yeah, yeah, many times, yeah. Yeah. She had the TBS I mean, report. Is it the TBS? Yeah. She had the TBS report. Yeah, exactly. This is like the <laughs> that they talk about for the whole movie and no one knows what it is. It's good. Just like a useless corporate report. I love that movie so much. Yeah, I think I'm going to watch that after we record. You Such a good film. No, no, he's so good as Milton, isn't he? He's just such a weird guy. Yeah, just, just the sort of like the rage that's underneath yeah. the sort of meek, you know, timid weirdo. The best line in the whole movie is when um I think he gets fucked over one last time, like uh Lumberg. Right? Yeah, Lumberg yeah. like takes his takes his stapler or something and he's like, That that's my stapler. That's right. And then something happens and he, he just there's a moment of silence and he snaps and he just goes, That's the last straw. <laughs> And then the next scene you see, like he walks in there and sets the building on fire. That's right, I know, he's crazy. <laughs> he burns it to the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He makes out with the check. I think it's like 300 and, or like 400 grand or something yeah. like that. That's it. Jeez. I know. <laughs> that's so good. That's, that's the last straw. That's the last straw. Yeah, I know, he's really, really well, well acted by Stephen. Um, but no, in regard to his character, Mr. Lager, um, I think he's a strict but fair manager to work under. Yeah, no, he seems to have uh, respect from the troops. He does. You know, he, he can obviously handle, you know, wacky sort of people like Kramer and I'm sure a lot of people would come in and try and take advantage of the the generous offer of $100 for no hello I'm sure people would try and find loopholes all the time but he just he doesn't seem perturbed I'm sure every day people are saying like oh you know I deserve $100 because of this reason even if it's flimsy and he just sort of seems very like cool and collected and like you said fair you know and his employees seem and the fact that he's willing to you know like consult his employees before making a decision I think demonstrates that he's a you know he's not an authoritarian manager he's very much a you know i want to include everyone in in key decisions even if they're small things like giving a hundred dollars to a weirdo exactly yeah i i feel like kramer's probably one of the very first customers to try and take that offer i think because they uh-huh. maybe released it like on the day or the day before and they probably only had a few customers or maybe you know the staff were trained to go hey and hi or do any kind of greeting and i'm sure because most customers who were actually with the bank were probably so busy to get their transactions done they didn't have time to worry about semantics regarding the promotion but i think kramer was True. probably the first one in like a day or two to really because obviously he wasn't a customer so he didn't need to go in to do any business but he tried to do everything he could and I think Kramer probably what the manager decided on the 20 bucks you know for him for getting a greeting beginning with the letter H I think that probably set a precedent so I think whenever next time they ever had a customer like a kooky guy like Kramer come in and go you know they didn't say hello they said hi or hey or how you doing maybe the manager said mm-hmm. look in this case we'll just give you 20 bucks without consulting yeah. stuff. I think Kramer like set the benchmark because I think because he's such a level-headed manager and really fair I think because he cares for his customers he'd probably want the same treatment for his customers like all of them yeah true I reckon on top of that as well I reckon he would have had a meeting you know maybe at the end of the day and said look he, I think he would have real. he seems like the sort of manager who is like fair and decisive but also one to admit that maybe ideas weren't fully thought through yeah. and he's, he's one to like he's one to quickly update policies uh, you know to match the reality so I reckon he would have realised that hang on there is a lot of room for you know misinterpretation or loose interpretations of 
of our rule, let's tighten it up a bit. Yeah. And, you know, maybe change the terms of, you know, instead of saying hello specifically, literally, you are greeted in a friendly manner That's or right. something. Yeah. Like either updating the terms yeah. or asking his staff to be specific and say hello to sort of close that gap. Yeah. I think, you know, he's the sort of manager who realizes, oh, hang on, there is an error here. We need to we need to address this quickly. Well, thank goodness there was no social media at the time. Can you imagine if Kramer got his 20 bucks <laughs> and then he went on Twitter and yeah. Facebook and he's like, hey, go to this bank and if they don't say hello, you can get money. Yeah, yeah, it would have been yeah, sure. And there'd be 500 yeah, people lined up. Yeah, and then someone would have come in to withdraw money and they're like, sorry, we gave it all away. <laughs> yeah, we've got nothing left. Yeah. A massive bank run. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really like him. I think he's good at handling like awkward, weird situations as well when Kramer's like, is this oak? And he's like, oh, I think it's pine. Kramer's like, pine's good. And he goes, yeah, pine's okay. You know, yeah, he's, he's just sort an of, answer for everything. He's almost he's like a piece of customer. Yeah, he's almost like patronizing Kramer in a way. I think he's, I think he can read Kramer very quickly that he's a bit of a, you know, a bit of a sort of a, a wheeler dealer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and just sort of a bit kooky and just tries to like <laughs> take advantage of those situations. He can read. He's just like, yeah, fine, he's okay. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, that was Mr. Lager. Do you have any other notes on him? No, that's it. I just, I just really like him, even though he's only in one scene and he, you know, has a handful of lines. I mean, I just love anything that, um, what's his name? Steve. Stephen Root. Stephen Root. I just love anything that he does. So. That he does, yeah. yeah well, he's totally exactly. different to Milton. Can you imagine if Milton was the manager? This oh, is yeah. the last straw. <laughs> this is the last straw. And he That's just the last straw. He just like kills yeah. an MMA. <laughs> so this is the last straw. Oh no, he would do something more evil. He would he would poison him or something. He wouldn't just kill him on the yeah. spot. Oh god, he'd do something really nasty. He'd watch him die. Probably. Oh goodness. And then he'd end up in the basement. <laughs> do you have any other uh, notes about any other secondary characters? Just a bit on the teller who says hi or hey. He's played by producer and writer John Ridgey. Uh, he's won three Emmy Awards for his writing uh, for the sitcom Thirty Rock. He's also received writing nominations for the Larry Sanders Show as well, much like Janine Garofalo when she was in. Oh. It. He's also produced and written for other sitcoms including the Bernie Mac show Will and Grace and Family Guy nice and his name's Jim as well I, I feel like the only notes I really had on him was I felt like Jim was doing the right thing by informing Kramer that hi is the same as hello you know he's just like this is a greeting it's the way it is and you know I'm just I'm just doing my job yeah no he's immediately sort of standing up for the bank and standing up for the policy I think he I think Jim he seems pretty pretty on it I think he would realize that hang on you know there is an opportunity for people to take advantage of this I need to sort of prepare myself to have have you know some little arguments about semantics yeah so you know he, he doesn't seem to be caught off guard of like oh oh i didn't say what do i do here is just like no no hey is the same as hello and i think his confidence comes from the fact that mr lager is a supportive manager i think he knows that if he makes a stand you know that sort of goes against the customer that mr lager will be reasonable and support him so yeah. i think that gives him a bit of bit of a leg to stand on he's always got his back yeah like yeah. you know even and even if he was overridden by mr lager he wouldn't be you know he wouldn't be little he wouldn't be belittled for it he would mr Mr. Lager would just be like, look, I, I respect your point of view, but on this case, I'm overriding you. Like it wouldn't be, he doesn't have any fear of, um, you know, being shamed for sort of making a stand. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, I, I like the fact that he's, he can, I think he can see Kramer's sort of agenda straight away. And he's just like, no, 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 that's, you know, you're not, I'm not giving you any room to move. Yeah. And then like you mentioned, you know, even Mr. Lager came up with another promotion. Yeah. 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 And I think, I, I think he's willing to sort of back himself, which I think is really good. He was a good character in that part. For sure. Do you want to? I've just got a couple of notes about Susan Ross sure. uh, in this episode in the context. So go way back to season one. I think it's our fifth episode. What's the deal with Susan Ross? Uh, we talk a lot about her. We, I'm guessing, I can't remember that was three years ago, but I'm guessing we talk about uh, this episode because it's sort of her demise. Yes. I think she th she shows a bit more. She sort of stands up for herself in a bit a bit more in this episode. You know, like I think she realizes that if she wants the marriage to be 
a good one, she kind of needs to stop conceding so much to George. Not that she's, you know, she's not spineless leading up to this episode, but immediately after conceding to George's choice of cheap invitations, she seems to be a bit more like, no, no, we're not. I'm not. I'm going to wear the pants, but the pants are going to be shared. Yeah. You know, she's she just seems to be standing up for herself a bit more. She even mentions with I the think rings. They said we're not going to go cheap on the rings. You know, we're gonna we're gonna spend. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the fact that she just laughs at George George's proposition for a prenup. You know, she's just like, yeah. You know, you don't have any money. I have more money than you. Yeah, give me the papers. Or something. Like she's just sort of, you know, she's insulting him. Fair enough too. But um, yeah, I, I think she realizes that. Hang on, like maybe I'm giving too much away. You know, I'm not going to let George's cheapness sort of wash over this marriage. I'm going to stand up for myself. And I think that really shows immediately after after the boxer arrives. Yeah, and I think she. I think you're right. She wanted to take back control. But what do you? Yeah. Why didn't she- she use like a glue stick or something why do you think she was licking the envelopes what, what do you think because even george says let's go get there's 200 envelopes and there's cheap glue and stuff and when they're in the shop and even george says let's go get those things beginning with e i, I forgot the names of them i'm yeah it was like, like a sticky adhesive or something i thought it was like a glue brand or something oh, okay. but yeah yeah, some, yeah. yeah something something from like a stationary shop to, to help glue the envelopes yeah, why did um, she one of those? I, I don't know maybe maybe george um, maybe they went to the stationery shop and he realized that the price was too expensive and he's like, no, no, you're looking for these envelopes. Yeah. As you probably <laughs> thought, because George had the, you know, made the call on the invitations, he can see that through and then she can make choices on the other things. Yeah, for sure. I mean, licking envelopes is not really much of a thing now, but I remember doing that in the 90s. I never thought maybe I should just use a glue stick. I actually stopped um, doing that when I, when I saw the episode. I never licked another envelope oh, again. Really? No, I haven't done it since. I use glue sticks or I use tape. Okay. <laughs> well, most, most, have like a peel and, most have like a peel and seal type oh, thing. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, peel, but, I mean, the ones that don't you have know. them, you know, like the cheaper, the ironically, the cheaper envelopes. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I use tape and stuff. I don't, I don't, I never lick them. I never lick envelopes. And plus, it's also like a high, especially in this day and age. Yeah, that's true. Do it now with all this. The yeah, that's true. Out, it's like, oh, nah, not, not the best, you know. Yeah, it turns out that the real source of COVID-19 is cheap envelopes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. In a warehouse in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was a wedding somewhere in the world and, you know, <laughs> someone licked an envelope and their DNA combined with glue and it caused a worldwide pandemic. And a bat. We should make reason. jokes about a serious a very serious situation no, it is but. really oh you can have a bit of a laugh come on it's it's very yeah. dark times we can have a bit of a laugh that's why we're still doing this you know to entertain us and entertain you as well that's true that's yeah. true yeah no like i i really like i think that susan you know even though she meets her demise literally half an hour to an hour after standing up for george it was nice to sort of see her go out on a on a strong footing she's sort of putting george in her place in his place a bit yeah and uh, i thought that that was a nice like little way to end uh, her character even though the ending itself wasn't great her like just who she was in that last bit of her life was was good yeah in a way she got the last laugh of sorts yeah yeah i think so i think so that's all i had about her i just wanted to sort of talk about her in that context Cool. Well, we did that for Frank and Kenny Banya last week. So, uh, yeah, why not talk about Susan? And uh, for more information about Susan, like I said, or like Stephen said, uh, episode five of Bidwabask, what's the deal with Susan? We talk about her in extensive detail for about an hour. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. listen to that one. One of our very earlier Way back. Way back. Old school. Yes. For sure. Anyway, let's take a really quick break and we're going to come back and find out where the invitations sit in our top episodes of all time and if any of today's secondary characters make our top 20. We'll be back. You want to see me? Yeah. <clears throat> Jim. A man here says, uh, came in the other day. You didn't say hello? No, no, that's not true. I said, hey, you know, like a friendly greeting. Hey. Yeah, but that's not hello. That's a tough one. 
So, Ivan, where does the invitations rank in uh, the episodes we've reviewed so far? So, out of 123 episodes, Steve, uh, number 40. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah. Pretty high. Yeah, yeah not bad. I, I enjoyed it more than I thought. And uh, I keep saying that Susan's uh, scene where she passes out and dies uh, is still shocking after all these years. Yeah, uh, it is pretty shocking. Um, again, I think I mentioned at the top of the episode that uh, what shocks me more is just their lack of concern uh, yeah. when she dies at the hospital. But, yeah, definitely a uh, definitely a significant moment in Seinfeld amongst many I'd say that George is in top form in this episode and I really love the scene where he tries to smoke to get uh, Susan to break up with him just how much like he's he's very obviously not a smoker but just how much he's trying to convince himself and convince Susan it just makes me laugh and then Susan's like I've never seen you smoke before oh yeah big smoker (laughs) (laughs) even Susan knows he's full of shit (laughs) nice how about you man one more position for you Uh, this comes in at number 50 Okay, cool. Yeah, so not not a bad episode. Yeah, I I don't think there are any weak moments. A few really classic scenes like the smoking scene I just mentioned. Susan dying is obviously huge. Their reaction is one of the most iconic scenes as far as I'm concerned in terms of like showing who they really are. And uh, yeah, no, but most mostly really good. And I'd say a really good way for Larry David to go out, you know, in terms of writing a really impactful episode. Absolutely, yeah. And we do see him again in the finale, which we have done an episode on before. That's right. Any of the secondary characters appear in your top 20? No. What about you? No, but honourable mention to Mr. Lager, oh, the bank yes. manager I really like. Yeah, actually, honourable mention to Gen- Genie as well. Actually, yeah, no, you're right. I, I like both of those characters. I thought they were really, uh, really good for the episode, for sure. For sure. And if you want us to do an episode, let us know. You can send us an email, bidwabaskpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us at B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we're also on Reddit. That's also our username, Bidwabask. And uh, we're also on Patreon. And you, uh, for a dollar or two a month, you do get bonus goodies. But between April and May of 2020, we are offering a Patreon for free. So you get all the perks for nothing for a month. Yeah, that's right. So sign up in the first month. uh, And if you want to continue being a patron as of May 1st, we will bill you for, uh, well, they'll bill you for either one or two dollars a month, depending on what tier you sign up for. If a couple of bucks a month is a bit too much, especially the moment with what's going on in the world and everyone sort of battening down the hatches financially, um, you can always listen to older episodes, uh, leave a review or just get in touch with us. We do have an unofficial uh, Facebook group as well. It's called Seinfeldisms. It's about 43, 44,000 members over there and it's growing quickly every day so if you want to join the fun yeah just type in Seinfeldisms onto Facebook and uh, you'll find us there too that's it well next week we're going to season 9 and we're going to talk about the dealership a real putty centric episode nice it feels like we haven't talked about putty or like some like later era characters in quite a while so it'll be good it'll be good to go back there for sure my name's Ivan and I'm Stephen and we'll see you next week for the dealership you take care catch you then catch you then